Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Align with Lina. Today is July the 22nd, 19. Listen to me, it's 2019. I'm going back in time. Um, I am so excited to invite you to be a witness to the conversation that is going to take place between two ordinary people. My guest, Bill, is a normal person just like me, and he has gone through an extraordinary spiritual awakening. And what he is going to do with us today is share his story. How did he move through his journey? So I am really excited to introduce you to this this gentleman that another friend introduced me to. So Bill, thank you for being part of this show today. I'm so happy that you're here because I know your story is gonna inspire many people. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and I'm, I'm hopeful that this will be helpful to uh, as many people as it's supposed to be. So, I'm you know, really I trust and you are the same way. We will trust that it's going to go wherever it goes. And hi, Dondra. So glad that you're here with us. Got a couple viewers. Um, so, Bill, let's just start where I start with everybody. Tell me, when was the defining moment when you began to realize that that there was more to life than what you believed there was up until that moment? <laughs> Well, I think that I became a, a serious spiritual seeker in the mid-1980s. I was living uh, in Arizona at the time, in Tucson. I was attending the University of Arizona there. Um, I was involved in a relationship, um, and I uh, just felt totally different moving to the Southwest. It was just a completely different vibe. I grew up here in Georgia, in rural Georgia, actually. Um, not so by your accent. Yes, <laughs> I have a little accent. Um, but um, so I, I was just, I, and I was young. I mean, you know, 1985 is over 30 years ago. So I was in my 20s. I was, you know, living life, uh, loved it. But I felt that there was something missing there. Um, there was just something or I felt that there was so much more than what was I was just experiencing in my physical life. And so I started to experiment. I read, um, I, I sort of started with Dick Sutphin, and he, he wrote a lot about parallel realities and past lives and how all of this is going on at the same time, simultaneous experiences. And then I got into Shirley MacLaine, and I remember out on a limb, uh, she was writing prolifically at the time. Yeah, I think that and, was her first her first big book yes, on the list. Yes. And so I loved a lot of the concepts that she talked about. Uh, you know, she talked about, for instance, um, the concept of making yourself warm when you're cold just by your thinking. So she did a lot. She kind of started me on the whole um you know, we can change our experience through our thinking kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, down that road. And so I studied her for quite some time. Um, and but let me, let me and ask you something. How, oh, sure. how did a Southern Georgia boy um, make a, the, the shift to reading about parallel universes? Did you grow up with that kind of information at home or? I, I did not. Uh, I grew up in a very uh, fundamental uh, Methodist, Southern Methodist home, but I had a, a, a memory of, of when I was a very small boy in church 
And I remember sitting on a pew with God um, and God was, you know, in the way that God came to me, he was an older man in a gray suit with the fedora hat and the, you know, could have been out of the 1930s or 40s. But I just, that memory has stayed with me uh, all of my life. I mean, I'll never forget having that experience of sitting beside God. So, uh, and, you know, how do you reconcile that experience, that memory of God that way? Because that's not how the fundamentalist church paints God. So how did you reconcile I, that? You know, it's, it's, it was a knowing line. I mean, there was nothing that I, I can't, you know, there was nothing that I could associate with our material world or about associations I should have had about who God was. Okay. I just simply knew that that's what I was experiencing. And our exchange was not a verbal exchange or a physical exchange. It was a knowing of each other. Yeah. And so that memory has stayed with me throughout my entire life. But, you know, as we we can either decide to awaken or stay asleep. And I didn't always decide to be awake. Okay. Uh, and so and so life experience continued. And, you know, it was just like sort of the way that, um, you know, I think all of this started. We made a fundamental decision. I'm not going to be or I'm going to say, well, what if I'm separate from God? Totally. Which, which we are not. ever. Totally, totally. And but so, in your twenties, but in your twenties, here you are in school. Did you have that memory of God consistently with you, or did that I, fade away? It did not. It has never faded throughout my entire life. But it does depend on how aware of it I want to be. Yes. So very when I very stay nice. in that space and I'm uh, my awareness of that memory, then then things flow a little bit differently. Uh, so, in, so tell me then, um, before you began to to read about parallel uh, realities and you're exposed to what Shirley MacLaine is saying, which is all beautiful and powerful, and I believe in all of it, um, about our thoughts being powerful, what did that give you access to? What did that propel you into that sent you then on, on maybe a more deliberate quest, a more deliberate search to discover more information that supported those things? Well, it seemed to me that if these people could write about it and appeal to their audience of, uh, well, obviously, you know, Shirley MacLaine had, you know, in international presence. She was well known in, you know, as a movie star, but she obviously felt that there was more to her life than what she was experiencing in that very material world of being, you know, a celebrity and, you know, a, a movie star. Yeah. And so it, it, it occurred to me that, you know, then there's more for all of us. If there could be more for one of us, then there has to be more for all of us. Um, because, you know, God is not just going to make it for a certain few. I mean, that's, you know, kind of what our history, you know, our history would say, you know, that only if you believe a certain way, then can you experience God. But that's not true. We all have access all the time to God. Yeah. And and I, I love that you made that comment because that is, in essence, what we're observing in the world today, that we are we, we are in the midst of some get 
to have privilege and some don't. And it's part of that resurrection of the truth that is beginning to happen because just as you got drawn to um, those teachings with Shirley McLean and the others, I too got drawn to certain teachings that began to expand my mind out of this, the limitation that I have been taught that some get it, but others don't. So it is a shifting of paradigms. So as you're being this, uh, exposed into this, that everybody is treated equally, what were some of the things that were going on in your life that maybe were not consistent with that truth that you were discovering that then you maybe, maybe you had to make some shifts? Maybe you didn't. Maybe your life was already consistent. I don't know. Paint a picture for how are you implementing or were you already living these principles and just didn't know well, I, I was, I don't feel that I was living them, but what was going on in the mid 1980s was the AIDS crisis. Um, there was a lot, uh, my partner at the time was HIV positive. Okay. And so, um, you know, we were looking at alternative um, treatment modalities. Um, and, um, and so, so there was a lot of this kind of, thought process going on, especially out in the Southwest, probably all over, but it was very, you know, being so close, you know, the whole, you know, California and Sedona and, you know, all of these different schools of thought were so much more prevalent there than they were, say, in the Northeast and certainly in the Southeast. So I think as a, a collective, I think that those people who were affected either themselves or with a partner or a loved one who was HIV positive, we're all looking for answers somewhere, yeah. somewhere else besides the, you know, traditional uh, um, mainstream, you know, medicine, you know, something that would help, something that would stop this. And so I think that as being in my 20s, uh, you know, I was just really trying to cope and really find, you know, a... Um, it just opened my mind up to other possibilities. So say a little bit about what was your mindset? You know, here your beloved partner is HIV positive. What, what were the emotions? What was going on inside of you? Because this shift in consciousness helps us deal with things very differently. Paint a picture for how were you dealing with things then so that I can get a sense of the, where was your consciousness? Well, I would have to say that I was in a state of upheaval, really. Uh, you know, I, I, I just was, I, I wasn't equipped emotionally to deal with this sort of, this, this actuality, you know, that was going on. But I mean, I would, and, and people were not living then. Nowadays, we're so blessed that people are living normal lives with, with HIV, but that was not the case then. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, it's like when so many of us, when we get into a situation where we need comfort, we need an answer, we need a path to cling to. And I was looking for that path to cling to because I didn't feel I didn't feel prepared to, to deal with with it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was just I was just hoping to find a way to cope, I guess. And what were some of the emotions that you were experiencing at the time? Oh, uh, everything, the, the gambit from, you know, I was angry that it was happening. I was, you know, devastated that uh, I was going to lose him. Um, you know, I didn't really know um, 
you know, how would that affect me? You know, just all of the un, the uncertainty of all of it. And then and then having to watch it, you know, it was just to watch this deterioration of this, yeah. you know, amazing person, you know, and then. Uh, so, so all of those, you know, everything that we go through when we're in uh, stages of mourning, you know, the anger to the sadness to the, um, you know, just the just the downheartedness and the, you know, uh, I was going to support groups. Uh, I can remember that just trying to find uh, some way to cope with it. And we just had to go through all those seven stages of, of grieving. So all of those human emotions. Yes. That get yes. activated when we really believe that we are these these physical bodies, that we are this, you know, separate sense of self, separate people. And, and we go through the falling in love and the, the wanting to be close and together. And then, of course, when something shakes that up, then, of course, the suffering that comes with that sense of separation kicks in. So what what from there, um, how were you able to be present for your partner? Um, what what happened to him? Um, well, this uh, he he eventually did pass away. OK. Um, and, you know, I, I believe that. Um, and his his parents fortunately lived out in that in in, in they actually lived in Sedona. We were in Tucson. He had a sister in Phoenix. We, but, um, and so um, you know, I I just I just went through it. You know, I don't I didn't have you know I all of the even though I was reaching and trying to find that path. Um, you know, it, it was still just so overwhelming. You know, I wasn't well grounded enough in it. And I don't think that I and I had not found A Course in Miracles at that time. And so a lot of what I was was looking at um, are and I had just again just started. So um, I don't feel that I had enough time or enough, I don't know, uh, discernment. Uh, to really be able to put those tools to use in this particular situation. Yeah, because you're such a young person. And even though you had that that experience as a young boy, uh, having that connection with God, we have to train our mind into understanding, like you said, into the discernment, into what does that mean to have that connection to God all the time? And when we are not raised consciously to know how to cultivate that relationship and realize our oneness, we definitely enter into that sense of separation. And of course, the suffering has has to come. I mean, that that's part of what happens in that sense of separation. So so here you are, a very young age, being thrust into the loss of, well, a, know, of a loved one. I, I just as a metaphor, what it felt like was... Um, Okay, I've jumped out of the plane, but I now I have to fumble and figure out how to pull the parachute because yeah. you're in it. You're just in it. I mean, and so it was just, you know, it was just a matter of I, I'm going to be living this. And I, I don't I didn't have the tools as that, like you said, as a young person that I needed. Um, but and but you said it had started. 
Yeah, it had started. So your mind was already prepared, understanding that there was another way, that there was more to life than what definitely fundamental uh, religion had taught you, but also what life society in general taught teaches us. Take me through. Then you said you found the Course in Miracles. Well, it was a little later, um, okay. you know, backing up um, once once John passed away and I w found myself back in Georgia, um, I went to, uh, ended up going to the Church of Religious Science, which at that time was at the uh, Woodruff Art Center. It met on Sundays at the Woodruff Art Center. And I used Shaw. to go there, so I remember. Yeah, it was wonderful. And then I did classes. Um, I did classes at the, um, it was on North Druid Hills Road at the Executive Center. Um, I did those classes. And then, and then, you know, we're going now we're a few years down the road and coming into the early 90s. And then I found Marianne Williamson because I knew that my life wasn't working. Um, I was a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for almost 30 years. Um, and I loved, you know, at the time I was young, I was, you know, out seeing patients. I did home health. I saw a lot of all kinds of people all over Atlanta. Um, and, um, and I, and I loved that, but I, I knew that something was missing and, um, it wasn't until, uh, 1992 that I found Marianne Williamson. And, um, and even then, uh, you know, I love Marianne's work and I love, but you know, that was just the tip of the iceberg. That was just an introduction to the course. And I studied uh, a return to love and listened to her tapes as I drove around all day, every day over and over. I had to buy another set. I wore them out. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, I finally picked up the course itself in about 1993. Okay. 1994. And then I studied, I studied the course. I did, I lived the course. I was obsessed with the course and um, I, I, it was just my primary path and I absolutely loved it. Before you tell me about the course, tell me oh. what, what were you hearing from what Marianne was teaching that was activating this, this, you know, wearing out the CDs. You were hearing something. There was something coming through. It was cassette tapes. It wasn't even out the CDs. <laughs> but, um, Damn, you're old. <laughs> I am. I am. I am so elderly. Um, so um, I, um, I remember, um, you know, what I was getting from her was that you can ch that you can change your life, that 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 God can change, that you are entitled to miracles, that we're all entitled to miracles um, and and that and that and that you can change. And I was still, you know, it's not the circumstances, you know, it's like when we want to change these outer circumstances, find the relationship, find the abundance, find the health, find whatever it is, but it's not. And so the key that I wasn't getting at that point when I, until I really started studying the course, it's not the circumstances that matter. It is the perception that matters. It's what am I, you know, I'm changing my world because I'm changing my perception of it. Not one thing has to change in this world for me to see it totally different only my perception exactly but you know what that that is the you know, I, no, I've been I've been a teacher now of spiritual principles for about 14 years and it 
that is the hardest thing for people to understand. And I, I don't work with anybody that doesn't understand that the shift is at the level of perception because until you're ready to shift perception, you have to have done the, the inner healing work that is necessary that lets you know that you're not a victim of the world until there is enough maturity to realize that you are powerful and that there is a level of power that allows you to perceive what has happened to you from either a victim perspective or from the perspective of the observer that had an experience but can decide if the experience is going to be labeled something that was helpful, that supported me. Did I learn from it? Was this something that um, has made me a better person? Can I find strengths in me because of the situation? Or did this situation totally destroy me and, you know, be a victim? Until you can be clear that you are at choice into how to perceive a situation, you're not ready to come inside and be aware of your perceptions. So here, so here you are, you begin to study the course and you begin to realize that it, it ain't out there. It's all in Bill. What right. happened to you? What, what take, take us through that process. Well, you know, a lot of things started to happen for me. I mean, I, um, I, I, I started to perceive the world completely diff differently. Yeah. And I started to have, and I was doing, um, there was a, um, a lady who was teaching uh, at the Phoenix and Dragon. She was teaching um, the course. And so I would go there. I would do the work on my own. Um, and I, but, you know, even when I started it, I still didn't get totally, uh, and, you know, I'll talk about now, you know, we'll jump ahead 20 years, but um, I, I did have amazing experiences. I didn't feel that, you know, I was so obsessed with it. I didn't feel that I needed to eat, that I, that, that, you know, that I could sustain, I was sustained by the love of God. Yeah. So, you know, I did not, you know, I meditated and met, oh my God, for hours and hours, you know, I was up at 4am because that's when all the magic happens, you know, and uh, I was meditating, I was doing my lessons. I lived the course. I mean, that's all I wanted to, you know, just lived, ate, and, but I still wasn't getting it. Yeah. And I didn't get it for many, many years until you had Frank Coelho on your show a, a few years ago. And I connected with him as a result of this show. So what I wanted to say was thank you so much for this show. And thank you for, for Frank, because that was an amazing. I finally got through talking with him. I got to the, the crux of the course. But I. Going back, I had amazing relationships. I had amazing things happen in my relationships. I had, I, I was getting messages from God on billboards. I was getting messages from God on um, license plates and bumper stickers. And I was just sure that around every turn that that was, a, that whatever I read, that was a, you know, what was that message? You know, because I needed to decode that message because I was sure that that was going to be the one, that was the, everything was so important you know well, you're you're telling my story and the story of so many people because it it takes many many years and for some people it can be decades 
of filling their mind with information before they actually get what the teachings are all about. And you're talking about Frank Colella. And Frank, um, a student of the course, also just such a, a, a dedicated person. And with the interview that I did with him, he spoke um, also of all the years of studying the course before it began to make sense to him. So I'm so glad that that conversation was so important uh, in your your journey. But let's go back to all of those years of mm -hmm. studying the course, because like you, I used to spend days, I swear, I barely ate or or bathed or did anything because I was so consumed with the studying, the, the going into these books and receiving the information um, because it was it was activating something in me because that's what truth does to us. It begins to work on us at a cellular level, whether we realize it or not. What were some of the things through all those years? You started what in the 1990s, you said, and right, Frank. Right. I had Frank on the show last year, 20. Right. So that's over 25 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me, what were some of the things that you were beginning to discover about yourself? Even though you maybe didn't get it, you were getting a lot. What were some of the shifts that you began to realize needed to happen in your life for you to be able to be happy? I think that, um, you know, the course is, is, is a course about forgiveness. And, and so I did a lot of work on forgiveness in all areas. Um, you know, I was, I was writing and burning, writing and burning, writing and, you know, every, just pages and pages and pages and burning it, you know, as, you know, just that whole ritual of getting it out to the universe. Because yeah. I wanted, I knew if I didn't clean out, you know, so I scoured and I searched my, you know, soul for any, you know, where am I holding a resentment? Where am I, you know, what's going on here? You know, am I, because I, I didn't want to be held back. I didn't want to be held back by any resentment. And I went back to as early as I could remember, you know, in my life, you know. And, uh, you know, I was trying, I was working on forgiveness as I understood it at that time. Yeah. And and that changed. But, you know, that, Tell us about that, that what what was the first stages of your understanding of forgiveness? Well, the first stages were going back and saying, OK, you know, I, I, I do feel I resented what they did. OK. Yeah. Or, or I resented what they said. Mm -hmm. um, and so. I was going through um, just the surface type of forgiveness. The Which surface is the focus of, is on what they did to me. Right, right. Well, yeah. the focus was on what, what they did. But I, but I was trying to, you know, I really wanted to. So as I understood it in those days, I was really doing forgiveness work. Yeah, I exactly. was doing amazing forgiveness work. I was forgiving everything. And, um, but I really didn't understand. And so, but Let I, but I can't do it. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Sure, did, sure. Did your forgiveness of them, what they did to you, did it come with a certain level of arrogance? Because when I was forgiving people for what they did to me, I was feeling arrogantly superior and I was doling out forgiveness. Did you experience any of that? I, well, you know, I can't say that I didn't. I did, but, you know, in a lot of Mary Ann's work, she talked about that. 
So I really, you know, and I don't know that. So I really tried to well, let my feelings superior when I'm doing it because I knew that it wasn't going to do any good if I was feeling superior. Yeah. But but really, in in truth, you can't not be feeling superior if you're acknowledging that they did it. Oh, if you're totally, saying they did totally. it, you know, I, I know. But, I felt in my that. mind, I didn't know that at that time. Yeah. So I was just, I was doling out the forgiveness. I was rolling out the red carpet of forgiveness because I didn't want to be held back. I wanted, I knew, and, and, you know, here again, I knew that God had a plan for me. Yeah. Now, where was my, you know, but at the same time, it was that, you know, so I've, so I've always had to walk that fine line and balance on that barrel, you know, of am I being, am I, am I acting superior? God has a plan for me, but what about everybody else? Yes. And I'm I, living, yeah. Yes. You know, no, you're, you're saying so many wonderful things. I didn't know that I was being superior at the time. It was later on that I realized how superior I was being. Um, right. You've said something a couple of times, and I want you to kind of expand on it a little bit. You said that you didn't want to be held back. What What do you mean by be held back? Be held back from what? I didn't want to be held back from uh, from God's grace. I didn't want to be hold. I didn't want to hold on to resentments or any kind of unforgiveness or any kind of mean spiritedness towards anyone because I wanted to experience that oneness with God. I wanted to have that. I wanted to to be that. I wanted to live it. Yeah. So, and so did I. I mean, that's why we're all doing the same thing. We all get a, a, an awareness of what's possible and then we want to do whatever it takes to get to that. Where did you learn or what was uh, what helped you understand that you had that oneness with God, that that was even possible? Because for me, I had an experience where I felt myself one with God. Um, and when I had that experience, I knew that was the, it, it, in essence, the end goal. The end goal for me of my journey was to return to that oneness with God. Um, so once I had that experience, that is what propelled me. What had you, what gave you the clarity or the awareness that you could have that oneness and that grace of God? I had in my meditations at that t at that time, and I'm trying to keep it, you know, the timeline because I could so jump around here. Don't but worry, don't when worry. I was really heavy, um, heavy into meditation, a lot of meditation. I would have amazing experiences in my meditation. I would, you just, I just couldn't even begin to tell you the amazing uh, visions that I would be given in my meditations and how. Um, uh, and how rewarding that was. And so I would have these, this, this, these glimpses of that oneness. But you know, meditation is not the end game. And for a long time, it was, oh, well, you know, meditation, that's, that's it, you know, that's, that's, but you know, I, it was yeah. like a, almost an addiction because I would go along for quite some time on this high. From, and I mean, I'm talking weeks, you know, day, you know, for a long time off these meditation, what I call meditation highs. Yeah. And then I would feel so depressed when it was over. And, and I realized this is not it. Yeah. This is not what it is to be one with God because you don't you don't live through this horrible letdown. I mean, it was just terrible. I mean, it was like coming off of some kind of a 
a high, like you, you know, had been partying or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then it was like, well, this isn't right. And so, and so, um, but I, I kept trying to work with it because I, I just could not live without that feeling. You know, I just could not live without it. And I, and so, um, you know, but again, that was all just like my idea of forgiveness. My idea of the oneness was not correct either. So, yeah. but, but that, that taste is part of the process because it, it, it provides a, a level of vibrational frequency. It's like a resonance inside of us. It gives us a bit of a set point of what to return to. So it does provide a powerful um, peace in the journey, but it's not, it's not all of it. You're absolutely right. That that's not it. It's an access to. Um, so here you are, you're, you're having all these meditations, you're experiencing those highs, and then you have the disappointment when they're not sustainable. What, what, was, what were you discovering was keeping you from sustaining that connection? Because I did not, and, and you know, again, I mean, this goes on for years and years. And so um, it wasn't until, honestly, my conversation with Frank, that I really got it. Yeah. And, and, and what I realized is that, you know, the oneness is always there. Yeah. It's not anywhere that we have to get to. We're already there. Yeah. It's just our perception of it. Yeah. So all of that, there's nothing that we can do. To, you know, there's not enough people that we could forgive in that old paradigm of forgiveness. There's not enough good deeds that we could do in order to gain God's favor or become one with God because we never left God. Mm -hmm. And that's what and that was when Frank, when Frank, I, I mean, and I was just so blown away after all of my years of studying the course, after all of my meditation and, you know, and, and he, you know, these are not I mean, I've studied Eckhart Tolle, you know, Abraham Hicks, um, Muji. I mean, you know, uh, Adashanti. I mean, you name I mean, you know, I have run the gambit uh, and I love them all. They're wonderful. But it wasn't until that one conversation with Frank who turned me on to, who got me reacquainted with Kenneth Wapnick, who got me reacquainted, uh, acquainted in the first place with Gary Renard, yeah. who, you know, I, that, that book, um, The Disappearance of the Universe, was so pivotal in my spiritual journey. But my then it was like, I was blown away. All the forgiveness that I had done, not right, not right. All of the, all of the meditation and all the ideas that I had about it, were not they were I was just totally living from a flawed premise on all of it. I mean, it was kind of, sort of, you know, but it wasn't the real forgiveness. No, but all of it, yeah, but all of it is necessary because they prime the mind to accept concepts as true that were not true before. Because in in a, in a way of perceiving God outside of us, God on a cloud somewhere, a punishing God, a, a God that we're separate from, it's very difficult to make the leap from God out there to never have been separate from God. You know, I've never left that. So it literally is like grades in school, priming the mind step by step by step by step for that return. So everything that we did even though that wasn't it, it was a step on that journey because we wouldn't, you wouldn't get it if you had not done all, all of that. If you had had a conversation with, with Frank, 
and never read any of those things, it would have made absolutely no sense. You would have thought he was crazy. But because you did do all of that work, you prepared your mind. You know, probably you, you realize this, but it's the ego that gets spiritualized. We, we don't have to become spiritual. We are spirit. The irony is that we forgot we are spirit. So we begin to believe that we have to gain our spirituality. And that whole seeking, that whole journey, all of those gyrations that we go through are the, the ego getting trained into accepting truths so that the moment of transformation is when we are no longer seeking for the truth, but acknowledge that it's been there all along. But it's, it's preparing us. So when Frank um, shares with you that, well, well, tell me in detail, what, what, what was the, the thing that he said that you then felt inside of you that gave you that, oh, that's the truth. Now, this is it. I got it. Well, I got what the, the, the thing that he said to me was, the reason that that most that a lot of people don't get it is because they never get ready for the real truth of it. Uh -huh. They're not ready. They're not ready to to give all of it up. They're not ready to realize that they themselves are an illusion. That this this whole experience is an illusory experience. Yeah. So they're not. They're never ready to really give it up. Uh -huh. And so at that point. Um, uh, I have, I'm very blessed to know a lot of people in recovery and I have attended uh, meeting, you know, AA meetings and those, it's, um, those people have got surrender down and surrender became an amazingly precious word to me. It's become an amazingly, you know, precious uh, concept to me. And so when I had my con when I had my conversation with Frank, I, I knew then I wanted to surrender it, you know, and I knew that there would be battles and it's not, you know, it's not that it's been easy for me. It's not that it's been that I have an answer that's not there for everyone. Yeah. It is hard to surrender it. It is hard to surrender certain things in our lives that we definitely want to hold on to the control of. Yeah. But the surrender for me uh, is was the key, you know, and I'm ready. I was ready to give it up. I mean, you know, I was ready to, um, you know, I think as they, they say in AA, give up the high cost of low living or whatever, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and so that for me, the surrender of that ego part, which we really created anyway, God did not, you know, create this you know and so um and so I, I i just so at that point i started studying in earnest i started studying you know i got immediately bought gary renard's book i immediately you know tuned back into kenneth wapnick um and i found uh um uh, you know some other people that i enjoy and and even when i went back to listen to other philosophers abraham hicks or whoever I would hear that, you know, the truth and what they were saying more. I yeah. would really understand it. Uh, Michael Merdad has been another uh, key influencer for me. And um, and uh, his book, his work and his lectures. Um, but, uh, you know, I would hear it all differently with after that conversation. 
that I had with Frank, I have heard everything differently. Yes, because before we hear the the necessary preciousness of surrender, we are we are preparing to prepare to prepare to prepare to surrender. And that surrendering is a pivotal, pivotal uh, part of the journey. And until we are ready to surrender, the shift doesn't happen. However, we have to be prepared to understand what surrender is. And while our ego gets spiritualized, it just wants to, it goes into this whole aspect of um, that although it is a necessary part of the journey to understand, it's also a trap. It's the whole law of attraction. Um, when we are focused on the law of attraction as a material thing, we cannot understand the law of attraction as a energetic thing. It is a component that draws to us the, 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 the examples of what's in our consciousness. And while we're focused on trying to get more stuff, get a bigger house, get more money, get another lover, we're not, we, what the hell do we want to surrender? We're in getting mode. And, and I've been there too. I've been too. right there. Me too. I mean, totally. I mean, I, and so, and so with, um, with the whole Abraham Hicks thing and the, you know, I was totally, you know, I mean, I've, I've, everything's been an ebb and flow. I haven't been the sincere seeker for all of those, you know, everything kind of comes and goes, but, um, you know, with Abraham Hicks, it was like, you know, I felt that they were almost like, what did they call them? Prosperity ministries or, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. But, but that's really not what they're talking about. So, uh, you know, they're really not talking about that at all. All of those things come to us. And I had a woman in unity back in Arizona, you know, who had had financial success and owned a lot of properties and, you know, th and, you know, so I, and, you know, in my early twenties, I just sincerely asked her, I said, how do you get it all? How do you get it all? And, you know, she just had this answer that I just did not want at that time, which was, well, these are just things that come to you through life, you know, no, how do you get it? I want to get it. You know, <laughs> so, where's the sale? Where's the sale? Yeah. All this stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you know, there's nothing. And, and what's beautifully freeing about this is there's nothing we have to go get. Yeah. You know, all of those things are that come to us, you know, whether it's the lover or the home or the whatever it is, the money, the car, the health, the body, you know, whatever it is that or the vacation or whatever it is that is a reflection of our vibration. That's yeah. all it is. All the th stuff is nothing but um, a, a thermometer for, you know, where are we? at in our vibration if you want to see you just look around at your circumstances yeah and that but that's such a challenging thing for people to understand because the ego is is it, part of what it's about is about accumulation because of such a a a fundamental aspect of the ego is a sense of lack and the lack comes from the, the experience of being separate from God. When we have that thought that I am separate from God, immediately there is a, a sense of emptiness. And that emptiness is what 
our egoic mind goes on then to acquire, to get, you know, that's why we look for love in all the wrong places. And it's all about going and getting stuff and, and becoming somebody. And, you know, let me take a second to kind of stop here and sure. let's highlight something that that is so important for people to understand. Our mind has been conditioned by people who did not know this. So there is no need to blame all of the people who taught us to to uh, get educated and get a career and go out into the world so that we can become somebody and do something and have stuff. That is just what has happened to us for thousands of years. We have fallen into that illusion. What we are waking up from is the realization that none of that stuff makes us happy. It just binds us into accumulation that then creates a sense of having to protect it in a sense of, um, you know, it makes me somebody. And if somebody takes some from me, it makes me upset because they took it from me. It just creates a very false sense of security, a very false sense of self. So we have to get clear that we have all been trained into believing that we become something through accumulation. So to move into the process of surrender, for the most part, a lot of people have to go through a big loss of something, loss of a lover, a loss of uh, their health, a loss of their money, a loss of something, their importance, their job, their title, um, before they can you know, humble themselves enough to come in and look to see what's going on inside of me. So speak to how did you make that shift from looking for stuff to then realizing you it was not about looking for things. It was about letting go and surrendering. Well, you know, I banged my head against the wall for a long time with that. Um, and I was just, you know, it's like I want to be spiritual. I want to surrender it. But I just know that if I hold out, that I'm going to be able to have it all. <laughs> false premise, false premise, false premise. Um, and so, you know, I think that when you get so tired of fighting and you get so tired of making it happen, I was a very action oriented, make it happen kind of person. And, you know, I was, I just remember, um, I was, I was out, um, you know, I love to garden and I love plants and I was out doing something and, you know, I just, it was like this, it was like this, this voice or this, it, it, not a voice, but maybe the experience or the impression, God is your source. None of these things are your source. Your job is not your source. The, whatever money it is that you're trying to get is not your source. Um, your obsession with plants is not your source. Your car is not your source. Your partnership. God is your source. That is all there is. That is all you need to worry about. That is where you need to be realizing that there is nothing that you need to control. And so that was really, and that was probably 
Uh, and really, I mean, you know, I'll be honest, that was probably about 2015. So, I mean, it, it has been a long journey. I mean, I, I have, I had a lot of knowledge. I could talk to you all day about these different philosophies and I get it. And, you know, what I realized recently is all that knowledge is so worthless if you can't apply it. And what, who cares if I know? this or I know that or I've read this or I've read that. I gotta be able to live it. And I don't I don't care if I'm all I want to do is to be able to live this, know God is my source, extend that love, be that light, you know, wherever I can. How can I be of service? That's the question I want to ask every day. How can oh, I be of service? Absolutely. No, that's one of the things in in the um, in the Course in Miracles, in the the book in the back, the Manual for Teachers. Yes. I happened to be married at the time. My former husband. Uh, this was uh, we got married in 2010, and I happened to uh, come upon which I know it was it was God directed taking the book, The Disappearance of the Universe with me on a trip. I went overseas. I went to Vienna. And that December 20, uh, 2011, I read The Disappearance of the Universe. And that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, this is about A Course in Miracles. Now I'm going to have to read A Course in Miracles. When I began to study the, the teachings of A Course in Miracles, where I got drawn to focus on was the the manual for teachers, the characteristics of somebody who walks the talk and which is, you know, the mastery class that I, that I do, which is how you and I got to know each other last year. Right. Right. Um, and that there is a list of 10 characteristics. And the first one is developing trust until we begin to trust that if we believe once we come to realize that God is inside of us, that God is the the essence of who we are. It is the life force. It is the air that we breathe. It is the everything that we are. Until we begin to trust that, we cannot really develop the rest of the characteristics. The second characteristic, a characteristic is honesty, which is to become really, really honest with ourselves and that honesty is a consistency in my walk and my talk have to match. So for my walk and my talk matching, I need to trust what it is that I am walking and talking together. So that's why it takes decades to have truth in your mind and then begin the process of bringing it down. Because what you were talking about with um, Abraham Hicks Abraham Hicks is teaching about the law of attraction. And it is, in essence, for us to create the world that we want, to create the life experience that we want, because what we are waking up to is that we have created a world that is a place where we have hidden from God and where we have hurt each other, where we have created perpetuated suffering because we all believe in lack. So that frequency, that vibration has attracted to us so many experiences of suffering. When we begin to trust that God is inside and we begin to become honest about, I have the creator inside of me, then the world that we are creating, the world that we begin to project is a world of love, of peace, of abundance because we share. So the course is really clear. 
before the universe can disappear, we are going to create a happy dream. We are going to create heaven on earth. We are going to create a world where we are going to be um, attracting things. We're going to be creating abundance and houses and, and cars and, you know, lovers. Oh, my. Those things are going to be created, but they're going to be created from a sense of wholeness inside where we come inside, do our inner work, as you were saying earlier, the work that you've been doing that I've been doing, because when there's no more lack in here, the manifestations are from a sense of giving. We receive the joy of the experience of the lover, the experience of the car, the experience of the house, because we give um, of it. We use the house to entertain. We use the, the relationship to uplift one another. We use the car to transport each other, not to make us look good. To, to Who am I? Because I drive this certain kind of car. So I, I like to let people know that we're not giving up the things of the world, not immediately, but we have to give up our attachment to them because the, the attachment. attachment. Yes. Because yes. when those things have been tasked with the responsibility of making us happy, they now become the source of our unhappiness. Because if they move, if somebody takes them away, if they don't look at us the right way, they're going to create suffering. Because that is where we get our high because we don't understand the, the, the highest aspect of ourselves is already within us. We don't have to go get it on the outside. So speak to now that you're aware of that, you know, you, you are a nurse. You have been trained in service to others. You understand that we are here, like you said earlier, in service. There is nothing more delicious than giving of what we have received. Tell me, what does your life look like today? Because you've walked us through your journey. What does your life look like today? Where, where are you getting your sense of peace and joy and satisfaction? Well, I'm getting, I'm getting it from continuing my studies. I'm still studying the course. I'm still... Uh, listening to uh, love to listen to your uh, broadcast on Tuesday nights, um, as well as you know so many of the other teachers I like to listen to um, Bentino Massaro. Um, I still listen to Abraham Hicks, uh, Michael Bernard. Um, I'm uh, in a in a in a uh, you were talking about attachment just a second ago, and I'm in a book club right now where we're doing um, the Untethered Soul, and that. so Sanger talks a lot there about attachment, attachment to people's opinion, attachment to circumstances, and I believe it's it's in Buddhism, which it, all of suffering is attachment, isn't that correct? I mean, so so if we can be uh, if we can surrender our attachment to all of these circumstances and we can allow our life to just unfold the way that it should, you know, the way that it's supposed to unfold, because, you know, God has so much for us, you yeah. know, I mean, there's just so much for us in, in, in every aspect, um, you know, instead of us trying to get in there and manipulate and whatever, but, um, you know, I am. Uh, I'm still continuing my journey. I mean, I, I, I am. Um, uh, my life is wonderful. I mean, I have a wonderful partner. I have a beautiful home. You know, all the material things. But uh, what I'm working on now is being even less you know, attached to those things. Um, 
Mountains. Um, I am in the process of saying uh, goodbye. One of my dogs is has uh, bladder cancer. And so it's really been, uh, he's a rescue. And so um, I'm working with that uh, just from the spiritual journey now about being able to let him go and realizing that he is eternal because anything that is life is eternal. If yeah. it's one celled organism, it's eternal and um uh and and has preferences according to abraham hicks so but anyway so i'm working with through that but um you know i'm i feel like i'm in a better and better place all the time but i i still want to be you know i still want to to um get more you know just more um reliant on god and more more dependent on on god as my source instead of you know, trying to think, none of us are alone. The beauty of that, if I could leave every, you're never alone. There is always, God is there for you, always, will always be, has always been. And so uh, we always have that. Um, we always have that, uh, that yeah. support. Yeah, but you know, the the irony in this whole game, um, the, the, this whole illusion that we've been playing is we, we have to surrender the attachment to things making us more than what we are. And right. as you said all along, God is with us. We are never alone. God is with us. And this journey, the Course in Miracles is really clear. One of the things that I love about the Course is that it is very clear and consistent. What we're coming to discover is that the reason we're not alone is because God and I are one. That's what Jesus was teaching. Yeah. The yes. surrendering is surrendering the delusion that we are not what we are, because when we accept that we are the essence of God, there, there cannot be anything else that we are other than that pure consciousness that we call God. But it's nothing more than the energy of love. As you know, in one of my experiences with, with God, it told me to call it Jesel, which is an acronym for God is the mm. source of the energy of love. And when I began to accept, I am, I mean, but it comes with a, a, I mean, sometimes it's so hard to say it because it's, it's, I, every fiber of my being is what God is. It cannot be other than that because we are pure consciousness in the mind of God. We are the right. God. We are the imagination of God. If God and ceases, thoughts never leave their source. No. Thoughts never God, leave their source. If God ceases to imagine Lina, Lina disappears. My work is to recognize that if God finds me worthy enough to imagine me, why am I imagining that I need anything other than what God has already thought about me to make me better than what I can possibly be. And that surrender is we're surrendering a delusional state of thinking that says that anything else can add more to me when it's impossible because God has already created me as whole as I can possibly be because all that I am is what God is. What, what could be missing in, in the isness of the allness that God is? So, it is a journey to coming to realize we are that we cannot not be that, you know, that whole statement. I am that I am. I am that holy 
creator source, whatever you want to call it. I am that, that I am. And accepting that is the end of the illusion, is the end of the delusion. And it's the start of the happy dream. Because now as the presence of love, how am I going to create? What is going to get manifested from one who is no longer feeling empty, from one who is now playing with consciousness, knowing that our thoughts create? Now we create with awareness instead of creating to fill in a, a delusional empty hole. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's true. This conversation with you has has just been so beautiful. Here we are at the top of the hour, so we'll have to wrap it up. So share share with the audience, how do you return to your alignment? Because like me, thoughts come into my head that are egoic and that are part of the world, and it pulls me out of my center, so I have to realign myself with source. Um, oftentimes, you know, on a regular basis, so I got to bring myself back into alignment with the truth of who I am. How do you align yourself with God now that you know that God is your source? Well, you know, I do it. I do it several different ways. One is uh, is getting outside in nature. Um, my exercise does it for me. Um, I still continue to, to do. Uh, I still continue to do my uh, meditations. Um, also, uh, because I, I do work from home, I stay in alignment by listening to amazing YouTube uh, and podcasts. You know, as I work during the day. Um, so I, al I always want to stay in that space as much as possible. And like you were saying, you know, when I'm in that space, it is an amazing, amazing feeling. Nothing's missing. Nothing, nothing ever, ever. And so, and you know, that's interesting because it's like when you're in that space and like everything is lined up to come to you, all the material stuff, but you don't even care because you're so in that space, it just ceases to matter. So, you know, if it comes, you know, things, whatever comes, you know, you're going to, you're going to, uh, be happy no matter what, because the big thing is, you know, I'm eternal. I'm with God. God's got this. God's, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Um, I don't have to worry about this or that. God's got it. He's got all of us because none of us, there's only one of us truly, and we've never left him. And, uh, you know, he's always our source and always there with us and always there being supportive. Uh, well, I don't like to say he, I, I've tried to get away from, from making it he, but God, you know, just the entity of God. Yeah. The, the source, the energy. And that is why the statement in the introduction to a course in miracles, nothing real can be threatened and nothing unreal exists. So there really is no blocks to God. There is no, no separation from God. Um, so, but what cannot be threatened is what God is and is there always waiting for our recognition of it, waiting for us to shift our perception and accept that we are the magnificent beings that we actually are. And therein lies the peace of God. Um, but, you know, we, we can't give this, we can't bottle this up and give it to anybody. We all have to come to this on our own. So thank you for doing what you've done to come to that on your own. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank oh. you. Well, it's a, it's a, it's my honor. So I am sure there'll be some nuggets here that will inspire somebody. And it, it's all about moving down this path to, to free ourselves. Ultimately, when we free ourselves, we 
we free the world. So thank you, Bill. Uh, thank you. Pleasure. Have a fabulous day. And I look forward to, you know, I'll see you around. We're connected. All right. We're always in thank touch. Thank you so much. Love you, brother. Bye. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And for my audience next week, I am going to have as my guest, a wonderful friend, um, Catherine Philippe. She is an energy healer and I have witnessed her journey because I've known her for about 12 years now. She's going to come and share with us how she moved through her journey into her alignment with the shamanic um, healer that she is today. So I look forward to sharing that with you next week. And that is going to be on the 29th of July, 2019. Thank you all so much. Have a magnificent day. Remembering that you and I are what God is love. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye.